My two-year-old Audrey is a big fan of her mother. She likes dad all right and wants me on occasion. Like she often wants me to change her dirty diaper if I'm around. And I think that's some sort of deal that she's worked out with her mother. Um, I don't know. She likes me to carry her from the car into the house. But in nearly every other situation, she prefers her mother. And these times, if I pick her up, she'll say, Mama, I want Mama. The girl sticks with her Mama. And you know, I don't think that's a bad thing for a two-year-old. I think that's a, a good thing to stick with Mama. I wonder who it is in your life or what it is in your life that, that you stick to. Of course, not in exactly the same way that my two-year-old sticks to her mama, but what is it that you rely on? What is it that you lean on to, to make life work or to make sense? We'll think about these questions together as we look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to take a pew Bible, turn to page 1044. Remember that Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. This was a good church. But the problem was that within the church, there were some who were teaching false teachings. And so Paul writes this book to try to strengthen the church and to try to help the church be protected against false teachings. In this text, Paul's main idea couldn't be clear. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. And Paul gives three dangers that can derail our walk with Christ, that can keep us from sticking with, with Jesus. Let's look at the first danger. If you notice in verse 16, it begins with the word, therefore. That means that what Paul is about to say is connected to what he's just said. If you look in the, the previous verses, Paul has just warned about false teachers. And he's reminded them that Jesus is enough. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he was raised to life. And through Christ, the Colossians were saved. And so Paul says, since these things are true, then follow these instructions. And there we pick up here in verse 16. He says, let no one judge you regarding the law. So there's the first danger. To avoid being pushed into following the law. These false teachers were urging Christians to follow certain aspects of the Jewish law. Apparently, they were requiring uh, the, the Colossians to follow some of the Jewish dietary commands. And Christians were no longer required to, to do so. In fact, in Mark 7, verses 14 through 19, Jesus said this, summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. In other words, Christians aren't bound by dietary restrictions. And yet, these false teachers were trying to put dietary restrictions on the Colossians. Next, Paul says not to judge anyone according to festivals. Now, in the Jewish calendar, there were a number of, of annual festival, festivals like the Passover and Pentecost. And then Paul says, let no one judge you by your observance of new moon uh, guidelines. Now, this was a monthly observance at the beginning of the month in which they would offer worship and sacrifices. 
And then Paul mentions the Sabbath. And you know, the Sabbath was a weekly observance. And on the Sabbath, Jews were required to rest. So Paul has mentioned dietary restrictions, annual events, monthly observance, and weekly observance. And he says, don't let anyone judge you according to the way that you follow those guidelines. But why? Why would Paul say, don't let anyone judge you according to those guidelines? Well, Paul gives two reasons. First, Paul says that these are only a shadow of what is to come. Now think about a shadow for a moment. Can the shadow of a car hit you? Can the shadow of a broomstick strike you? Of course not. A shadow reveals the reality of an actual object. So Paul says that these sorts of ceremonial Jewish laws weren't the real thing, but only a shadow, a glimpse of what was to come. So Paul gives a second reason that the Colossians shouldn't be bound by these Jewish laws. It's quite clear that the shadows are pointing to the substance, and the substance is Christ. They were glimpses of the Lord Jesus. They pointed the Jews to Jesus. They were meant to teach and to train the Jews about God's holiness and about their need for him. In Galatians 3.24, Paul calls the law our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. In other words, the law, the Jewish ceremonial law was meant to help us see our need for Jesus and to help us be made right with God through faith in Christ. Now, some of you may be asking yourself, isn't observing the Sabbath one of the Ten Commandments? So how could Paul tell the Colossians not to observe one of the Ten Commandments? Interestingly, of the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, the commandment to honor the Sabbath day, is the only one that isn't repeated in the New Testament. So are we required to observe the Sabbath? Paul's answer is no. Remember, the Sabbath day was observed on Saturday. Are we required to rest and avoid all work on Saturday? Again, according to the Apostle Paul, the answer is no. Christians are not bound to follow the Sabbath. But are there principles in the Sabbath that are important for believers? And the answer to that is absolutely. The idea of taking a day of rest each week goes back to creation itself. You remember that God spent six days creating the universe. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And so we, we see that it's important for believers to, to pull away and, and have a regular day of rest. It's a way for us to humbly express that we're not God. Remember, God is unlimited. He, he doesn't need rest. He, he, he observed a day of rest to help us learn a rhythm for life. And so when we rest, we're admitting that we're not God. We're admitting that we are limited. He's unlimited. We're not unlimited. Are there any other principles regarding the Sabbath that are applicable to, to believers? Well, another is obvious, the importance of, of taking a day for worship. In the first century, the early Christians met on Sunday because that was the day in which Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they, they began to, to meet together regularly for worship. It wasn't the same thing as the Sabbath. But, but the Sabbath reminds us of the importance of, of observing that regular time of worship, of working that into the rhythm of our lives. So in considering verses 16 and 17, what's the first danger that Paul warns these believers to avoid? It is this. Don't be pushed into following the requirements of the law. Don't be pushed into following the requirements of the law. An example of a, of a cult that pushes members to follow strict rules today is, is the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that if you're going to be made right with God, you have to follow a whole list of strict rules, some of which include being a part of the Watchtower organization. If you're not a part of that organization, you're not going to be right with God. You also have to go out and knock on doors and distribute Jehovah's Witness literature, the Awake magazine or the Watchtower magazine. And so as a Jehovah's Witness, you have to constantly try to follow the rules, to follow the rules, to follow the rules. And you have to hope that you will follow them enough to earn the favor of God. Similarly, in in Islam, a Muslim has no assurance of being right with God. Instead, a Muslim strives to live out the rules of, of the faith especially the five pillars, which include confessing Allah as the true God and Muhammad as as his prophet, Uh, praying toward Mecca five times a day, giving uh, taxes, uh, religious taxes for the poor, a pilgrimage to the city of Mecca. All of these things help one earn God's favor. And a Muslim has to just keep trying and hoping that he or she does enough to earn the favor of Allah. As Christians, we recognize that we can never, we can never follow all of the rules. We are too sinful. Our only hope is Christ who followed the rules for us, who lived a perfect life here on earth, and he lived on on our behalf. Through him, sinful people like you and like me can be made right with God. So how do we avoid being pushed into following the law? First, realize that if you are in Christ, God cannot love you more and will not love you less. Think about that. If you're in Christ, God cannot love you more and he will not love you less. Does God call us to live Christ-like lives? Absolutely. When you read scripture, it's clear. Once we know Jesus, our lives should begin to change through, through His grace, we should become more and more like Him. But realize that God's love for you is based on what Jesus did, not based on what you do. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news? Nothing you do will make Him love you more. And nothing you do if you're in Christ will make Him love you less. What freedom is there Next, do not force your personal convictions on others. The, these false teachers were trying to take their perspectives and force them onto others, and we must be careful not to force our personal convictions on others as well. As believers, we are called to follow God's commands and scriptures. No questions about that. But we don't add new rules to the scriptures. For example, if you have the conviction that you shouldn't watch a movie that's rated PG-13 or above, that may well be a great conviction, but you shouldn't require other people to follow your conviction. Now, there are plenty of movies that are rated PG-13 and R that believers oughtn't, or shouldn't watch. There's no doubt about that, filled with all kinds of garbage and filth. But we don't make a rule and then apply it to everyone else. That's called legalism, and it does not honor God. Another, can, another example is the way that we dress when we come to worship. If we're modest, then we're in compliance with Scripture. He doesn't require this kind of dress or that kind of dress. So if you want to dress this way or that way, as long as it's modest, you've got the freedom to do so. But don't require it of others. When you require it of others, you're requiring something that Scripture doesn't require. You're adding to the book. That's the mistake the false teachers were making. They they were requiring rules that were not required of believers. 
So where scriptures clearly speak, we must speak. But in grayer areas, we're to give each other freedom. We don't force our personal convictions on others. Next, realize that being made right with God isn't about seeing how good you can be. Being made right with God isn't about seeing how good you can be. That would be exhausting. Always, always trying to earn God's approval. This is what sets Christianity apart from the other religions of the world. God, God gives us his approval based on the provision of his son, not based on our effort. So we've seen, first, not to be derailed by the danger of following the requirements of the law. Let's look for a second danger that Paul warns about in verses 18 and 19. Paul begins verse 18 with another command. He says, don't let anyone condemn you. Now, the the word condemn you can mean to disqualify. It's a sports term. In fact, this phrase could literally be translated, don't let anyone act as an umpire against you. So, So what's Paul saying? He's suggesting that the Christians at Colossae shouldn't allow anyone to condemn them for not following the false teacher's recipe for spirituality. Just what was the recipe? Well, here the heresies that are an issue in Colossae begin to come into better view. These false teachers were pushing the people to follow ascetic practices. Now, asceticism is denying the body in one way or another. It may have been that these false teachers were requiring a certain amount of fasting. And in doing uh, this fasting, perhaps they they were thinking that, that they would receive visions and revelations, as Paul mentions in these verses. At any rate, their motive for denying their body for these ascetic practices wasn't genuine humility. Their motive was their own selfish and sinful desires. Also, these false teachers were engaging in some sort of angelic worship. Of course, this is forbidden in Scripture. Consider this encounter of the Apostle John with an angel in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. John speaks, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. So these false teachers were encouraging worship of angels. Now, because there's much confusion about angels in our day, I just want to mention a few high points about angels from the Scriptures. I'm not going to read the passages because of of time, but I have given you the passages in your bulletin. Thinking about angels from a biblical perspective, first, angels were created sometime before God created the universe. Next, God created angels to honor Him and to praise Him. He created angels to be his servants, and he created angels to help Christians, to help believers. And we need to say that when people die, they don't become angels. That's a popular belief in our culture, but it's unbiblical. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates anything of the sort. In fact, we know from Scripture that's not the case. We could say much more about angels, but because of time, we shouldn't. What is clear is that angels are meant to be servants of God and worshipers of God, never the object of worship. So these false teachers claim to have special access also to to some sort of visionary realm. Interestingly, nearly all cults and religious movements began with some sort of supposed revelation or vision. In fact, Islam began in this manner. In the Quran in Surah 2, 97, the Quran claims that the angel Gabriel brought revelation 
uh, of the Quran down to Muhammad. So Muhammad, the founder of Islam, who lived about 600 years after the time of Christ, claimed that he had received these revelations from the angel Gabriel. Now, if the angel Gabriel sounds familiar to you, it's because that is from Scripture. And he shared these revelations with his followers orally, and then after his death, they wrote them down in what became the Quran. Mormonism has a similar story. Joseph Smith, who lived from 1805 to 1844, was allegedly visited by an angel, the angel Moroni. Smith had been known for divination. He had been known for practicing magic and for his poor moral character. And he claimed that this angel, Moroni, shared the location of hidden golden plates near the Smith family farm in Palmyra, New York. And this, these golden plates who uh, Smith, or Smith said that they were written in uh, uh, Reformed Egyptian, sorry, my blank there, written in Reformed Egyptian, and he was able to translate them by, by, by God's power. And he translated those golden plates, and that is what became the Book of Mormon. Now, mysteriously, the golden plates are no more. He took them back to the angel Moroni. Um, you see, alleged visions are the beginnings of so many of, of the false teachings that are out there. So Paul warns these believers not to follow the false teachers and their crazy visions. And he gives two reasons. He says these false teachers are inflated by empty notions of their own spiritual mind. In other words, they view themselves as super spiritual. The false teachers thought they had it together spiritually. They were, they were 18 spiritually. But Paul says that there was nothing spiritual about it. It was the work of their own unspiritual minds, their own unregenerate minds. The second reason for avoiding these false teachers that Paul gives in these verses is that they don't stick with Jesus. You see, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the church. And Paul says that the false teacher is disconnected from Jesus. It's through Jesus, the head of the church, that Christians individually and that we as a church family mature and grow in our faith. But the false teachers had left Jesus behind. They were disconnected from him. So we've seen that Paul warned the Colossians to avoid the danger of being pushed into following the, the, the requirements of the law. And as we consider verses 18 through 19, Paul gives a second command to help the Colossians stick with Jesus. Don't be disqualified for look, uh, by looking for something beyond Christ. Don't be disqualified by looking to something beyond Christ. Now imagine for a moment running a marathon. Um, that's going to take a lot of imagination for most of us. The path of this marathon is, is marked out for you. After 26 long miles, you make it. You make it to the finish line. Imagine the thrill of, of going all that way. What an accomplishment. But what if along the way, say about mile 23, you decide to veer off the path of the marathon? Maybe the official trail got boring to you, or maybe you saw something else that, that interested you. How crazy would that be? How crazy would it be to leave the path that would lead to victory or at least to completion? Chasing after some other pursuit. Similarly, if we are on the path of following Jesus, the path that Scripture clearly identifies, 
We are crazy to get off that path and to start chasing something else. We're we're crazy to do that. That's a fool's errand. No, we want to stay on the straight and on the narrow. We want to keep following Jesus. He is enough. We need look no further. We just keep looking to him. How do we live this idea out? Well, ask yourself this question. Am I looking for something else? Am I looking for something else? Maybe something mystical. Hey, I like Jesus, but I'm interested in new age things too. I, I saw this spiritual guru online or, or on TV and, and you know, his ideas were really interesting. Or, or maybe I want to explore some Eastern mysticism. Maybe try emptying my mind and get in tune with myself or, or some deeper ultimate reality. Friends, these are dead end paths. And there are countless more that we could list. If you know Jesus, all of these are dangers from the devil to try to derail you, to try to keep you from sticking with the Lord Jesus. If you have Jesus, quit trying to find something more. He's the one, the only one who can make you right with God, who can meet the deep needs of your soul. So stop trying to find new revelation, some mystery beyond him. Next, nourish nourish your soul with Christ. There's several ways that God has given us to help us grow deeper in Christ, to help us become more like him. Things like reading the Bible daily, praying daily, being in worship regularly, building relationships with other believers who can, who can encourage us and help us, sharing Jesus with, with other people. These are means that God has given us for going deeper in our relationship with Christ. And if we neglect these, of course, our souls are going to be hunger. And of course, we're going to be tempted to look other places for spiritual nourishment. We must not neglect the essentials. So nourish your soul on the Lord Jesus. Do the things that will help you grow in him and know him more. So we've seen not to be derailed first by the danger of being pushed into the requirements of the law. Second, we've seen not to be disqualified by looking to something beyond Jesus. What other danger does Paul warn about? Let's look in verses 20 through 23. Paul asked the Colossians why they are still trying to live according to the elements of the world. By this, Paul, Paul probably means by embracing the Colossian heresy, which included some mixture of Jewish legalism, pagan mysticism, and self-denial. Why, why are you doing that, Paul says? You know Jesus. Why are you doing that? Now, Paul says if you died with Christ, and what he means um, is this, if, if you died with Christ, in other words, if you came to know Jesus, why are these things appealing to you? Now, Paul is asking a rhetorical question, not to suggest that they're not believers. He, he believes that the Colossians are, are Christians. They've put their faith in Christ. He's asking them this rhetorical question to help them think about what they're doing. Well, what are you doing? Paul says you died with Christ. How did the Colossians die with Christ? Well, when they turned from their sin and they put their faith in Jesus, the old person they were before died. And Christ gave new life. When a person recognizes sin and and asks God for forgiveness and confesses trust in the Lord Jesus who died on the cross, was buried and raised again, God saves that person. These Colossians had been saved. And who they used to be before they knew Jesus, that person was dead. These false teachers were telling these Christians, that's not all there is. You you need to follow our rules. They had made up 
all of these rules of what was okay and not okay, but they weren't biblical commands. They They were just their own spiritual systems. This is common in many cults today. Joseph Smith, as I mentioned earlier, the founder of Mormonism, received a revelation that Mormons shouldn't drink hot drinks. So coffee to this day isn't permitted among Mormons. In the same way, these false teachers at Colossae were making up rules, all kinds of rules of what was permitted and what wasn't permitted. Paul says these regulations are human in origin. Some of these teachings may seem to be wise, Paul says, but they promote a self-made religion. They promote false humility. They promote, uh, encourage mistreatment of the body. In reality, Paul says these rules have no value in subduing the appetites of the flesh. What did he mean? These rules don't transform. They don't remake a person. They don't help a person become more like Jesus. So we've seen that Paul warned the, the Colossians not to be pressed and to avoid to uh, following the requirements of the law, that, that he encouraged them not to look beyond Jesus. Now from verses 20 through 23, what's the third warning that Paul gives the Colossians? Don't be trapped by man-made religion. Don't be trapped by man-made religion. Sometimes, Paul says, these man-made religions can sound really, really good. On February 1st, 1866, 44-year-old Mary Baker Eddy was walking around out in Swampscott, Massachusetts, and she fell on ice and she injured herself. Eddie claimed to have serious medical injuries that medical care couldn't cure. Three days later, Eddie professed to have had a spiritual experience while meditating on the Bible. And later, Eddie wrote this, my immediate recovery from the effects of an injury caused by an accident, an injury that neither medicine nor surgery could reach, was the falling apple that led me to the discovery of how to be well myself and how to make others so. Eddie went on to study alternative forms of medicine. She studied Eastern mysticism, uh, uh, another kind of out there thought called uh, Quimbyism. And then she studied the scriptures and she sort of just mixed it all together. And she wrote a book called Science and Health with a Key to the Scriptures. And in this book, Eddie argues that illness is the result of faulty beliefs. Eddie wrote in the latter part of 1866, I gained the scientific certainty that all causation was mind and every effect a mental phenomenon. Of course, Eddie rejected the Bible's core teachings and she created a whole new religion. She called her church Christian science. And it turns out it's neither Christian nor science. It's just plain old man-made religion. How do we avoid being trapped by man-made religion? Well, first, look to Christ to experience the best of life. Life in Christ offers forgiveness, hope, peace, assurance, joy, contentment. You may find satisfaction and happiness in other places, but in reality, the deepest and the most wonderful joy is found in Christ alone. Next, be careful of being allured by artificial saviors. We find all kinds of things to to build our lives around or to stick to, to, to be our saviors. We can chase after relationships or pleasure or career advancement or fitness or money or power or prestige or some sort of alternative religious system. We can turn just about anything into an artificial savior. We must not do that. We must not be trapped by following these kinds of man-made religions are these kinds of artificial saviors. 
in the classic Greek tale, The Odyssey. Odysseus is making a voyage back to home. And on this journey, Odysseus faces many dangers. And along the way, he's warned by a witch goddess of some of the dangers that lie ahead. He's warned of an island, an island filled with sirens. And these sirens sang a beautiful song, an amazing song. And the song was so beautiful that all who heard the tune were overwhelmed. Any passerby would be compelled to go ashore on this island. The sound was simply too irresistible. But any boat that did approach the island would be shipwrecked along the rocky shore. It was a trap. And so Odysseus made preparations to face this danger. Before he came near the island of the sirens, he filled his men's ears so that they could not hear the songs. And he had his men tie him to the mast of the ship because he wanted to hear, but he didn't want to succumb. And so they tied him to this ship. And as the, as the ship approached the island, oh, they began to hear that amazing tune. Well, Odysseus did. His men were safe. But you know what Odysseus did? He began to beg his men to release him, to let him free. But all they did was secure him all the more. They just tied him tighter. Now, in today's world, just in the Apostle Paul's world, there are many beautiful sounding songs, songs that would lure us away from the true beauty of the Lord Jesus. Will you tie yourself to the Lord Jesus? Will you hold fast to him? Brothers and sisters, stick with the Lord Jesus. Stick with him. Let the driving force of your life be to know him. What step can you take to to know him more? Maybe you need to get rid of something that's luring you away from him. Maybe you need to get serious about reading and studying the Bible. Maybe you need to commit to, to be in church regularly, to learn and being encouraged. Take whatever step you need to take to dive, to dive deep into the beauty and the joy of Christ. Now, if you're here today and you don't, yet know Jesus? Why not today? You can receive him. Tell God that you know that you're a sinner, that you believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and was raised to life, and that you want to follow him. And if you call out to Jesus in that manner and you mean it, God will save you, and you can know the joy and the beauty of having Christ. Oh, friends, there's nothing greater. Join me in prayer.